five wins on the spin, top of the championship. If an unmentionable alcoholic brand did Saturdays, they would uh, do them a little bit like that for Norwich City. A 3-0 win against Coventry. We're going to dissect it in detail um, because there's plenty of strands to unpick and probably some that perhaps just merely looking at the scoreline you wouldn't expect. Welcome to this week's Norwich City uh, podcast from the Pink and in association with Future Radio Connor Southwell joined by Samuel Seaman and Paddy Davitt to dissect a, a very well probably positive afternoon for Norwich City in the whole Sam they're, they're top as I mentioned if only for 12 hours or so Sheffield United of course hosting Hull on the Sunday um, we've just made the walk uh, back up the road from Carrow Road after that what what was kind of your assessment of the afternoon all in all? Well, firstly, I'm mainly just thinking about how long you've been working up that that introduction about the uh, unmentionable alcoholic brand. But no, in uh, in all seriousness, a a very good afternoon for Norwich City. And you know, when you win three 0 you can't really complain. And Norwich fans won't be generally. But I think it was also in an afternoon where it was laid bare the the weakness of the Championship at times, and Coventry really didn't put in any sort of performance that threatened Norwich at any stage despite the fact that for probably 20-30 minutes in the second half at the start of it they were you know at odds really that you had they seemed to have no idea what they were doing they seemed a little bit lost on the pitch and yet two good probably 15 minute spells have done for them in the championship and um, I think that highlights the the growing gap between Premier League and Championship given obviously how woefully they failed to survive in the top division um, last season so it's not good from from that point of view but you know as I said Norwich fans certainly won't be complaining having won 3-0 they're top of the championship for the first time this season and that means they're in a really good position to now kick on and, and achieve what they want to achieve which is I'm sure not only promotion but winning that title for a, a third consecutive go in the championship so um, yeah I don't think we learned anything particularly new about Norwich this afternoon but there were certainly developments that will help them going forwards Taman Pukki scoring his first goal of the season. Um, another good performance from Aaron Ramsey when he'd been questioned for his performance at Birmingham on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, plenty of good things to talk about. But overall, very routine and um, not perhaps as encouraging as the scoreline would suggest. No, I would agree. I mean, you've said people won't complain. I'm probably going to complain a little bit later on. So we'll we'll come back to that. And um, also on the introduction, what makes that more impressive is that I don't drink at all. So um, the fact I've been able to, to pluck that reference maybe suggests that uh, said company had a very good advertising campaign. Spend too much time on Twitter, to be honest, mate. <laughs> Quite possibly that. Um, Pat, I feel like uh, we should just get out of the way, kind of your associations with Carl. I feel a little bit like I'm asking. What do you mean? As if that's, that, that's some sort of a dirty secret. Carl. Well, it's, no, it's not. But I feel almost like I'm I'm putting a question to an ex to a player about his former club in many in many regards. So, as an afternoon, because I'm sure people will be interested. What what was that like for you watching the club that you grew up supporting? I think you know, obviously you're you're a Norwich fan now, and, uh, and whatnot, <laughs> yeah. but uh, the, the club you grew up supporting against against the club that that you cover professionally. I mean, it's it's quite an interesting dynamic. It's obviously not something that I have to experience, Sam. Sam Neva. No, I didn't. No, I didn't enjoy it. If I'm brutally honest. Um, of course. Which goal did you dislike the most? <laughs> it was, uh, the first one. The first one was pretty bad. The first one was pretty bad in terms of from a commentary perspective. As Mark Robin said after the game, he was very impressive in his post-match actually, given the, having a quite an horrendous start to the season. But um, basically, said if one of my players is trying to do step overs on the edge of his own box, and you've got a predator in Timu Puki, then um, it's only going to end one way, and that was badly. And uh, 
Yeah, no, it's it's a bit sad at the minute. But I mean, Robbins is is a legend there. What he's achieved, you know, to get him from League Two essentially, with all the sort of backdrop about not having a home and playing away from Coventry for a period of time. So, you know, they had a good season last season, the Championship top ten, and hasn't quite happened for them at the start of this season for on and off pitch reasons. But I, th- I think under him they'll be fine in terms of their status in the Championship. But yeah, as Sam alluded to, it wasn't really a contest for large parts. Other than the support, I think the Cov fans probably won that hands down, even if they didn't have a drum. Um, I'm not trying to be incendiary there, but 1800 were there and they sang from start to finish. And uh, that that was the main thing for me. It was nice to hear some of the songs I used to sing on the terraces. So that was a bit of a nostalgia vibe. But uh, I came in with no expectations before the game that Cov would get anything. And so in that regard, I was proved right. But my mate, my good mate, actually, Rich, I'll give him a mention because um, he's an avid follower of the, the Pink and Content on all our platforms. He called it. He said it would be a 3-0 to, to Norwich when he saw the team news and he was spot on. So, yeah, I think um, ultimately turning it back around swiftly to Norwich, um, very, very impressive how they managed the game. I know Dean Smith alluded to thought their standards dropped a little bit after half-time and Tim Crawl had to make a big save at a big moment when it was 2-0. Um, but I think overall, you know, the, the results and the points now tell you they're definitely heading in the right direction. And, you know, we talked about it, Connor, whereas we left Car Road, it's levels within levels in the Championship now and Norwich's squad depth is ridiculous at this level. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they get on against Burnley this coming Friday because that'll be, for me, probably the, the benchmark about where Norwich are going this season because with the greatest respect I don't think we learn too much from beating them very bang average Coventry side um, and even Birmingham midweek albeit they made hard work of that but I think Burnley feels like the first real acid test um, but they're doing everything that's asked of them now and to be top eight games in having not picked up a win in the first three is testament to Dean Smith and his players yeah just on the cough fans they bought 1800 which is uh, I think the, probably the biggest following we've seen certainly in terms of noise they were excellent all afternoon even um, in spite of their team's performance I I actually went for a, a run or if anyone see me run more of a plod uh, around my, my area this morning and there's a, a pub at the end of my road and uh, it was about half nine in the morning and there was already a coach full of of sky blue shirts in there so um, that's that's pretty impressive I didn't even know the pub opened that early so uh, whether it was whether they made made communications that they were attending said pub I don't know but uh, yeah it was it, it was uh, an interesting afternoon in many respects and I, I feel like and you're probably going to moan at me or call me a killjoy or whatever but um, I still didn't necessarily feel and maybe this is because of and I made this point in my verdict, maybe it's because of what we've seen in the past. Um, maybe it's the bar that they've set themselves. Still don't necessarily feel after, what is it, seven games in the Championship that Norwich are as fluid or as consistent in their performance levels as perhaps they need to be. But then, Sam, given what Paddy said there about the levels within levels in the Championship and just how big the gap is now in terms of from the Premier League and teams that drop out of the Premier League to everyone else in the Championship, does it matter that that Norwich maybe aren't as good as perhaps people will expect them to be looking at the amount of points they've amassed in the last five games and obviously their position in the table. In the short term, it doesn't matter at all. If they get promoted, they'll be happy. But in the long term, I think that's where people are starting to look now because they've experienced two promotions the last time they've seen Norwich in the Championship. I don't think they're necessarily satisfied with just another promotion. I think they want to see the signs of a team that's that's able to build on that in the Premier League. And the end goal, we all know, Stuart Webber spoke about it on a podcast he went on this week. The only thing they're working towards is 
Premier League sustainability and, and survival. So in a way, no, it's not really enough, I suppose, if if they don't look like a side that could even compete in the Premier League, which at times they haven't this season. I'm not saying that's always been the case. But, you know, rarely have they looked like a team that's going to comfortably survive and sustain themselves in the Premier League long term. And given that's the goal, I think Norwich fans are right to um, to perhaps judge them on that and judge them on that goal. So um, it is an interesting aspect of the season. It's almost like whatever they do, they can't be successful mm. because everybody's just waiting to be able to to assess them next season, really. So um, it is interesting, but also, you know, football fans are, and having, having been one, I can say they're a, a fickle bunch and uh, sometimes a simple bunch in terms of what they want. They just want to see their team do well and they want to see their team win. And in that sense... If they're better than the opposition, it doesn't matter if they're they're not fantastic. Um, Norwich fans are, are used to seeing teams much worse than this, and they have seen teams much worse than this in fairly recent years. So, um, no, I think in the short term they don't have anything to worry about. But you know, obviously, as we've discussed at length in terms of the Premier League in future, that is something to to be wary of. This this debate, Pad, is it a criticism of Norwich or is it a criticism of the Championship as a whole? Because we've had so many conversations and, and you only have to kind of cast your eye at the Premier League at the moment and obviously Norwich aren't in it but the sheer amount of money that's been spent a record number um, Manchester United uh, I'll use this sort of statistic courtesy of Kieran Maguire um, Manchester United spent more on Anthony than the entirety of the 24 teams in the Championship spent all summer I mean it's it's incredible the the financial levels but it feels like that is now maybe for the first time since the Premier League formed, translating into levels within the English pyramid as well. And and what we're beginning to see because of, obviously, the, the Premier League finances and the parachute payments is that now begin to affect the leagues below that. So in many ways, when we're talking about maybe Norwich not being at the levels we perhaps expect them to be, that's fine, but they still sit top of the league and they've still won their last five. So it doesn't necessarily feel... I'm not trying to be critical of Norwich necessarily... But even in those moments, and they had a, a real period in the second half where they, they were nowhere near their best. They were sloppy, they were loose. Um, and yet, it still didn't really feel like Coventry could, could land a, a punch on them. So I don't know really if I'm criticising Norwich City or if I'm criticising the Championship or, 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 to be honest, football in, in general. It's quite philosophical for the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of strands to that. I mean, I, the stat that blew my head a little bit in terms of the Premier League spending in this past window was the figure spent in the Premier League dwarfed the Bundesliga, Serie A yeah. and I think Ligue 1 if I'm not mistaken but three take Spain out of the equation but three three of the major leagues combined their spending power was less than the Premier League so and you've graphically illustrated that in terms of the Anthony deal vis-a-vis the championship it, it does feel an accelerant has, has happened despite you know coming off the back of the pandemic and reductions in revenues seemingly um that all that pent up maybe demand is 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 spewed over the last few summer months, and you now have almost more disparity. It feels like you know because that level of spending is is just off the Richter. I mean, whether it comes to pass that Norwich have a wealthy US investment coming in in the in the mid to longer term, even then, struggle to see how they could compete with with what's gone on in the Premier League, um, pretty much top to bottom. Uh, you look at Forest. I mean, look at the Forest outlay. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, both in terms of scale of players turnover, but also the hundred million pound plus that they spent, um, and that's just to give them a fighting chance of staying in the league. So that inevitably will 
reflect and impact further down the pyramid. Um, Robbins, again, post-match, said he felt this summer, for the first time in a couple of seasons, that clubs in the Championship, certain clubs, had spent significant amounts. And I thought, thought you made a very salient point off the back of that. It also might be compounded by the vast majority of the Championship, and Steve Morrison alluded to this at the start of the summer, don't have the funds for whatever reason. Uh, to spend and they're having to beg, borrow and steal effectively. So if, if you've got a Norwich, you would expect are in that small band of clubs who have spent money in the championship this summer, but the vast majority don't, then the the sort of disparity that was already there is only more graphically illustrated. It's a bit too early to make hard and fast conclusions because we're only eight, nine games in. But if we get to, I don't know, get to the turn of the year and it's Norwich and it's Burnley and it's Watford fighting it out, which is plausible, more more likely uh, rather than unlikely, then you have to probably say that that does underline again that you know the finances, there is an imbalance. And again, Weber on that podcast recently was asked about the parachute payment um, backdrop that clubs who come down, you know, are afforded. And, and he was very, as you might say, maybe he's got a vested interest coming, coming at it from a Norwich perspective, but he, he felt it's a reward for for success, not failure. You know that, that those clubs, and he, and he was right when Norwich first went up under Farker, they didn't have any parachute money. When he was at Huddersfield, likewise, um, Forest last season, albeit they have a wealthy owner. So it's a, it's a really complex debate, and I don't think there are hard and fast conclusions you can draw this early in the season. But it, it feels on the evidence of the games we've seen involving Norwich that there is a gulf, and and again that. Graphically was illustrated today with Dean Smith turns to his bench. On you go, Kieran Dow. You know, on you go. Uh, all those other players on El Hernandez, Gabby Zara, um, and these teams just don't have that enviable resources to call upon. So, what isn't in dispute is I think Norwich's squad is the best in the division in terms of quality and depth, and that is because they've had the finances to be able to do that. So I think you have to be honest and say that. Norwich are riding the wave, which is probably the adverse effect when they're in the Premier League, that they can't really compete on a financial level playing field. At this level, it feels like they have all all the financial um, advantages going. But you still then, you still have to buy the right players, you have to have a coach who incorporates them into the right systems. And, you know, it isn't a guarantee of promotion, but it certainly enhances Norwich's chances of going back again this season, I think. Yeah, I I find it really interesting when when we have this debate and it's... the external view, people who follow Premier League clubs are so quick to talk about parachute payments rather than perhaps the transfer fees and the outlays that are being made. That's that's interesting in terms of the way this conversation is 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 being framed within football more more widely. I just fear where we're going to end up, and that's not just off the base of that. As, as you say, that's a longer, deeper philosophical question that, that we won't have on this podcast. But it's um, it's an interesting backdrop to what Norwich City are doing in, in the Championship at the moment. And Sam, where where I would be critical of of Norwich is kind of what we spoke about from the outset. Really, Dean Smith has has said from the start of this campaign, particularly at the moment, he's not that interested in league tables. It's about um, consistent quality performances. Norwich are winning games. But do you feel that threshold is being met in terms of consistent quality performances? And if so, I think what we've seen from football is that if your performances aren't there but you're getting results, often at some stage the two tend to to even itself up. So with obviously Burnley on the horizon, I guess the fear is that Norwich's level of performance stays as it has been, but maybe the result isn't different to that. Well, I think the good thing is that they were better today, I thought, than they were in both of their away games Obviously, um, 
sort of this week. Um, so, you know, they're, they're heading in the right direction and maybe they are trending upwards just as they get to one of their bigger games of the season in a trip to Burnley. So, you know, in, in one sense, I, I don't think they were particularly poor today. Um, but, you know, any discussion about consistency was out of the window if you watched that game today. There certainly wasn't any of that. Even within the 90 minutes, they weren't... They looked like different teams at, at times. Um, but then again, if a team is consistently good, they're probably in the Premier League. And I think that's actually when you get towards the top levels, you notice that quite a lot is that pretty much any professional footballer has to be supremely talented just to get paid to, to do that job. It's about the consistencies and it's about delivering on that talent on a regular basis. That's what makes the best players and that's what makes teams that are successful on a regular basis. So maybe in the championship, wishing for any kind of um, sort of perfect consistency is is a bit ridiculous really because otherwise they wouldn't have been relegated they would be in the Premier League and you know they pulled off some decent wins last year they beat Watford 3-0 an impressive performance they beat Southampton 2-1 who are a very stable Premier League side a few years ago they beat Manchester City 3-2 and if they were performing like that consistency consistently they'd still be in the Premier League so I think consistency is perhaps a more underrated aspect in football and something which I know Dean Smith wants but I don't know if he's going to achieve it particularly easily with a side that's not funded by the the sorts of ridiculous amounts of money we you, you were just speaking about really so um in a way no they're not meeting Dean Smith's demands but I think his bar probably won't be particularly high compared to maybe what we see with the likes of Manchester City Liverpool who find a way to perform well every week even if they're playing twice a week I think what Smith will be looking for although performances are important to him, is just that ability to find results. And not only did they do that in a basic way in the the two away games, they did it with still a pretty decent performance and, and some really good signs today. So, you know, as far as reaching that level, I don't think they're too far off reaching their own their own level in terms of consistency. Um, and I think they will they will probably get there soon. We're seeing some good signs and they have too many players, too many good players to not be doing that because as we've seen with the substitutions, if a player isn't doing well, there's you know, you look at attacking midfield, there's probably three options that that are good enough to be leading championship players for, for various clubs in that league. So, you know, I think they'll find that consistency by virtue of the, the squad depth and they've got too many good players to not have eleven that are in form. So I think eventually they will get there um and they will be able to do that. May if not week in, week out, then on a fairly regular basis. But um, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds just to be producing the, the the good performances on a, a weekly basis. Yeah, and I, and I guess that to flip that point on its head, really, and, and maybe provide some balance, the fact that they haven't had a consistent 90-minute performance, the fact that they are winning games and they have won five on the spin and they're winning these games beyond maybe the, the two away games that they had, certainly the three home games, I, I think, have been relatively comfortable. The fact they're doing that shows probably the levels that this team can reach this season if it continues on the trajectory that it's on at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's all relative consistency of performances there for me at home because they have been in command for those three home wins. I think it's a bit unrealistic if we, if we want to measure that or the metric is from minute one to minute 90, they don't come off their levels. I think we've touched on it there. Bar, probably United, uh, bar Liverpool and Man City, that, that doesn't apply to any other team in the Premier League. They all you know dip uh, within games. This, games this is, game. Sorry to interrupt, but this is kind of my point. So are we... 
again, are we measuring them against Premier League performances? Are we measuring them championship performances? That's that's the interesting bit for me, and I guess that's kind of where they are, isn't it? Because they're they are realistically somewhere between the two. Well, Norwich is two. Let's just use as a benchmark. Norwich is two times have been in this division previously. They've won it both times. Were they consistent from September, August, September through to the following May, week in, week out? No, they had to grind out results. You know, seventeen single goal victories the last time. Many of those they didn't hit their stride, um, but they found ways to win. So for me, Smith's an, an arch pragmatist. I don't think he's looking for some perfection in performance level week in week out or, or from half to half within games. I think he he will be very up if they roll on uh, in the manner they are. If it it brings the results that get them back in the the Premier League, and, and as he said, people were quick to throw at him. Immediately after relegation, it might have even been the day at Aston Villa where it was confirmed and at post-match press conference there about, yeah, but what if almost skipping over this step and you're already back in the Premier League and then what next? How do you break the cycle? And he pretty much said, handbrake on. You know, I'm not even bothered about thinking about the what next. My job now is to get this group or this football club back to the Premier League. And I think that's the be-all and end-all. I don't think he's future-proofing what he's trying to do in terms of a style of play, how they play, how they go about it, that might evolve as we get, you know, past Christmas and, and things look, look hopefully rosy in terms of the end goal. But um, but the here and now, he said it after Birmingham. He said to his players, "These are the hard yards. Nobody in May, if they've achieved promotion, are going to look back and think, oh, they were under the cosh at Sunderland. They didn't play particularly well, and Birmingham really put it up to them.' They'll think we took six points from those two games, and I think that's very much his mindset. But Within that, and he has also said this, if you do get consistency in performances, then as a re- more often than not, results do follow. So the two, one follows the other, I guess, But as a coach. But, you know, for me, there is a consistency in, in how they're picking up results and also how they're playing at home. So, you know, I'm certainly not, I wouldn't be concerned if I was a Norwich fan that, you know, it isn't the Farker 1.0 kind of way they swept to that title with this flowing champagne-style football. And we'll, you score three, we'll score four. But even that, I'm sure if we went back and looked at that in a bit more forensic detail, mm. there, there was plenty of hard games that first time round under Farker. But there was also a lot of superb football and maybe that colours a lot of how we view this debate that, you know, we have seen a Norwich team play with panache and style and, and just overwhelmed through the quality of their football at this level. But I don't think that's Dean Smith and I don't think that's this group of Norwich players. If they have to tough it out between now and May to get the job done, I think you're more likely to see that. So I certainly I certainly wouldn't be expecting some great leap forward and then suddenly it's Farker 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever. I don't think that's likely or realistic this season. It is going to be very much what we've seen to this point. I think we'll continue um, ideally with a bit bit more control in terms of the facets of the game that Dean Smith's looking for but fundamentally what we're discussing here is the championship and the championship top to bottom Saturday, Tuesday is an endurance test and a, a, rather than a beauty contest and I think uh, if Norwich come the end of the season are back in the Premier League then who really is going to uh, pick them up on the style of football it's all about results yeah, and I suppose it's it's nice that we can have this debate with them having just won three 0 at home and and sitting top of the championship. I think ultimately you, you get to the core of it, and it does feel like probably more of a criticism of of the championship and the quality within it, but but probably more so of 
I don't want to say the state it's been allowed to get to because that feels a bit a bit derogatory, but certainly where it is at the moment probably doesn't feel like where it has been in the past as a division in terms of quality. And there are various reasons for that, which again we we, we probably can't get into in, in terms of this pod. But um Sam, let's let's look at this game in detail then. Three nil. Um probably probably a case of, of two halves for Norwich City as we kind of got into already around consistency. Um first half was pretty good, second half wasn't really to, to, to put it simply um, but what Norwich did do very well in in the first half and we, we've spoken about kind of the sheer amount of players they had Smith seemed to find a system that got the best out of quite a few of them you look at Aaron Ramsey who came in and was was very good Timo Puki came in scored his goal he's he's off and running now Josh Sargent on the right again he was probably really the left side that I was looking at and feeling well, that's probably a little bit lopsided but naturally that's that's because of necessity more than perhaps choice so um it it was a a positive start to this contest and ultimately two games by half time the game was pretty much as as good as done then really yeah um i think smith actually said in his post match press conference that he felt like they probably should have had more than than the two goals they went in at half time in front um and at that point i think coventry provided a little bit of a scare um when they had that chance i think it might have been the first first or second minute in that second period that they went through one on one Tim Krul made the, the good save but other than that I don't think there were ever any worries that they weren't going to get the job done even when Coventry you know for the, the 10 seconds at Carrow Road thought Coventry had equalised I don't think there was too much fear among the group uh, you know or among the, the the watching fans that Norwich weren't going to get the job done um, for the reasons we spoke about Coventry's lacklustre performance some of the squad depth and individual brilliance that Norwich can call on at championship level they were just better and um, over 90 minutes it's it's hard for such a large gap in quality not to tell and, and not to be evident in the result so um, yeah I don't think Norwich really ever had anything particularly to worry about that, that system you spoke about and getting the best out of players I think that's to be fair you have to give Smith credit for that you look at managers like Gareth Southgate and what he's done with England. You know, I don't think anybody's praising Gareth Southgate for being a particularly revolutionary or ingenious coach. The fact is, England had a, a very, have a very good and talented group of players, and he's not got in their way. And I think it's a similar case with with Dean Smith in the Championship. Norwich have such a good squad that if the coach doesn't overcomplicate things and doesn't do anything to actually make it worse, and just sends them out as the, the group of players they are decently coached know what they're doing then I think they're they're fine and um, that's what he did today really he just put probably their 11 or close to their 11 best players most in form and available players in the side that he could and they went out and they were the better team and they won so you have to give him credit for that but no I don't think Norwich were ever really threatened um, that they, they didn't look like they they would win there have been games where it certainly felt like that at Sunderland after 75 minutes I I certainly wasn't of the opinion that Norwich were going to win that game Birmingham going 1-0 ahead you thought maybe it's one of those nights but honestly Coventry probably could have taken the lead after the dominant spell Norwich had early on and I, I probably still would have thought that Norwich were going to come back and, and, and win that so um, yeah that golfing quality when it's that big and you know, I'm not saying Coventry have a squad that isn't going to be able to compete at Championship level at times this season. But just today, they were poor. Norwich have the players where that maybe they were average, but that's certainly good enough to create a massive gap. And that was always going to tell in the score, in my opinion. 
Yeah, um, Aaron Ramsey pad. It was it was his first start at Carroll Road. We, we saw him start on Tuesday night, and it wasn't. I mean, he was he was okay. I, don't, I didn't think he was particularly brilliant or, or particularly terrible. Um, he was he was fine. He, he got through it and uh, uh, and was was okay. Um, obviously, last weekend he, he set up the goal for Josh Sargent to score. It was the first time we've seen him in, in kind of a ten position and. There's been a lot of people who maybe have been slightly underwhelmed by his start and probably by his profile as well, let's be honest. He's uh, someone who's come on loan from Aston Villa, Dean Smith's former club. That creates a certain type of narrative, I think, and, and probably a certain type of, of pressure on him as well. But also his CV, the fact he spent the second half of last season on loan at Cheltenham and having registered one assist or scored one goal um, didn't didn't you know set the world alight. He's coming to a, a side hoping to be at the top end of the championship. And I think there's been some kind of conversations around that and whether that was the level of, of where he is at this moment in time. I think any questions around that were probably put to bed by half-time in, in this game because he was he was really excellent. He, he added a real injection of, of creativity and, and also plenty of ideas in, in the attacking third, which hasn't always been the case in Norwich City performances in real in recent weeks. No, I mean, I mean as Dean Smith said, he brings vision and awareness and, and quality on the ball and, and all those strands were... Illustrated by the role he played, key role in Josh Sargent's goal. You know, um, people will either have been there live or that may catch up with the highlights. But you know, just just um, to kill Timo Pukki's cutback and then immediately shovel it on. You know, almost as if um, he had a sixth sense that Josh Sargent was going to be there in the middle of the box. It was a Premier League esque piece of play, I thought. And um, and he is a Premier League player. He's a very young man, but he's. Highly, highly regarded. You know, he's among his peer group in England, amongst the best players at his age currently, and that is raw talent that Smith, Shakespeare, and Bramley, Liam Bramley, first team coach, who who helped him, was part of the coaching team that won an FA Youth Cup with him. So you're talking about a, you know, quite a, an exciting prospect, but he's raw and and he's inexperienced, and he's obviously having to come into a new group in a new league and. Maybe that explains some of the underwhelming early performances and cameos. Dean Smith hit the nail on the head. You touched on he got a start at Birmingham off the back of he was excellent at Sunderland in in when he came on, capped by the assist. Through that, he got a start at Birmingham, but Dean Smith said he did okay. But it was kind of an, an okay that you know would have wanted more, and I'm sure the lad himself would have wanted to produce more at St Andrews. But gave him another opportunity today in a slightly different position, and boy, did he respond. You know. Um, Deserved his standing ovation from from many parts of the ground when he came off on the seventieth minute, give or take, and uh, really really exciting to see how he goes now in that central role because I don't think we necessarily felt he would be entrusted with the responsibility in a key area of the pitch, but the way he was linking up with Campwell and Nunes and Sargent um, bodes well, and uh, you just think with the caveat, of course, when he's so young, is that. And we're talking again. It feels like this pod is completely talked about consistency, but but in terms of young players, you do tend to find those dips, and they'll go up and then they'll go down. So probably best not to run away with the idea now that there is there is the answer to you know a key position creatively in the final third. But on his day, he looks to have the quality to really leave a lasting impression, and uh, it's just about how Smith manages him and how how he develops now on this path. But. Uh, Good signs, I think, because yeah, you're right. There was probably pre Sunderland a few questioning quite what was he and what is he and what had Smith seen in him because he was talking up his abilities as a very intelligent footballer. I mean, that was pretty much the first thing he said once he'd arrived. Don't think we've seen too much evidence of that, but this last, well, certainly Sunderland and, and today, you can see what he's talking about. That there, there is 
a player who adds a little bit different to what is currently in that Norwich mix, which, as we talk about, there is a lot of good players, but uh, maybe nobody quite bringing what he brings to the party. So, um, yeah, positive signs, and you just hope he, he'll be full of confidence now, I'm sure, after that performance, and it just carries on in that vein at Burnley on Friday. Yeah, good stuff from him. Good to see us uh, as well. Um, Sam, Team Ibuki back in the team. It feels like there's some kind of natural order um, resumed. Seeing Team Ibuki's name back on the on the on on the uh, on the score sheet, it was a, a, a Team Ibuki esque goal, really, wasn't it? Excellent finish. Marcelino Nunez wins the ball high up the pitch, threads him in. Lovely pass. Um, for me, it's it's not really the first touch or the finish. He takes a touch to kind of shift the ball onto his left foot, which he almost takes the ball away from McFadson and basically says, well, if you're going to tackle me, you're going to foul me and it's going to be a penalty. It's a really intelligent touch. It's um, almost half a second in, in, in terms of the, the, the time he takes. Um, really cultured, experienced finish. But his all-round game, I mean, he's kind of done it in, in the last two away games, came on and provided a real impetus. I mean... If anyone needed any reminder, not that they should in, in these circles that Team Ibuki is a, a quality operator, then that performance topped off with a goal today probably proved it again. Yeah, I think he was gearing up to it. Um, there were some, to be honest, pretty poor performances at the start of the season where he looked not only disinterested, but maybe a little bit tired and he wasn't very effective in a team that you know it feels like a long time ago now. But you remember back to Cardiff, they didn't look like they were going to create a chance all season. Um you know, and uh, I think he's now come back into the team and, and looks like a different player. I wonder, given the impact we've seen it have on the likes of Tim Krul before with uh, Ralph Fearman a few years ago and now with Angus Gunn, I think he's been much better. I think it could be a similar situation with Puki and actually having some genuine, serious competition. Yes, he's had Jordan Rhodes and Jordan Hugo who you know, have have been able deputies, but he's never actually been threatened for his starting place, which was absolutely what was happening with Josh Sargent. He had to step out for injury for, I think, two games. And then he's come back and, and he was fit and on the bench. And that was an extreme rarity for his time at Norwich City. So I do wonder if that's perhaps given him um, a little bit of a kick somewhere where he needed one and um, improved his, his performances a little bit. But what was even more encouraging... Um, to see for me was the fact that they both scored today and the fact that Puki has impressed up front with Sargent on the right against Sunderland as well that was where Sargent found that winning goal from shows that they can both perform and and I was a little bit worried that you know Smith would try and appease maybe fans or one of his most experienced and high profile players in Puki by sort of crowbarring them both into the team and that it would nullify the threat of one of them, namely Sargent, given he's obviously going to be the one stuck out on the right. But the fact that he can perform in that role and he can still score goals and ease that burden on Puki to find the net, I think is is majorly encouraging. And we've now seen that on two occasions. So I think that was very good to see, the fact that Puki scored that goal. I think of all the types of goal he could have scored, the fact that he scored an absolute trademark Tamer Puki goal was was really good to see and I think there were certainly flashes of of um, a certain partnership we've seen before in a, a South American attacking midfielder showing a little bit of bite and stealing the ball off a, an opposition midfield player and then playing a, a very well-weighted through ball first time. Puki then just tucks it away and I think once he got into that position, once he took that very, very intelligent and good touch that you referenced, I think that everybody in the stadium that's seen Tame Puki play before and seen a few of his goals before knew that that was ended up in the back of the net. So, yeah, it's fantastic to see him um, sort of back on, on top form. And if he can stay like that and if he can continue to perform, which 
I'd suggest he could now that he's got the likes of Nunez and Ramsey probably is capable of playing those sorts of balls through and providing him with the sorts of chances he likes to feed on. Looks like he's in a good position now to um, to get back to, to exactly where he was. Well, I was going to say two years ago, but he's continued it, unlike the rest of his teammates in the Premier League before, but it looks like he's going to be back to where he was, a happy, healthy Norwich City striker. Um, and that's only good news for those of a yellow and green persuasion. Yeah, Marcelino Nunez, no consistency, just vibes, but I think I'm OK <laughs> with that, to be honest. Timmy Puki now um, scored more goals for Norwich City than Grant Holt, which is staggering, really. Um, 21 to go, really, for this season, isn't it? To get to 100, which would be quite the achievement. That would put him among the, the very best Norwich City goal scorers in, in their history and, and, in my view, very, very achievable with how many games we've got left on a regular maths, 39? Yeah. Round there, um, already, already at the stage where we lost count of how many games are left. That's the championship for you. Um, I was going to ask you, Pat, about Josh Sargent because he, he had to play in a slightly different role. But I thought Dean Smith made a good point in his post-match press conference, which is because teams, a lot of teams at this level, play free at the back. Kov did so again. It, it pretty much allowed him to play as a second striker. So even though he was a right winger, it did feel like almost Norwich had a front two at times and they did get a lot of joy um, out of combinations between Sargent and Puki. So I think if you were looking at it, asking the question, can they play in the same team? I think on the evidence of what we saw today, that's probably an emphatic yes. Against, as you say, that type of defensive setup, I'd still like to see him against the back four, how, how it quite works. Um, but yeah, Dean Smith did make the point that he occupies another one of those centre-backs um, and allows him to operate a bit more down the middle uh, and then obviously you get the width from as it was Max Aarons or you know Ramsey pulling out there or you know on occasion Nunes and Cantwell interchanging so yeah it, it, it just feels that and goes back to what we said earlier that I think there's not too many championship teams who would be able to nullify a Pookie and a Sargent with the right supply lines around them, and um, and as a result, you know, five and five for that man now. He's he's well on his way now to be in the conversation for, you know, if he stays clear of injury and, and, and illness and suspension, then it looks like he could be in the conversation for for top top goal scorer. And uh, you know, if he's got Pookie pushing him and it's an internal battle that's sparking Norwich, then all the better. That's what Dean Smith wants. But I think it does it does feel like it's been put to bed this debate that it, it you can't have. Both uh, that that somehow um, you know that will nullify a lot of what Norwich are trying to do um, to the detriment of the shape and the structure because in the last two games both of his goals have come in the centre of the box um, so you know it's about intelligence and awareness and knowing where the space is and attacking it and and you know Pookie's a very intelligent player Smith referenced that again after the game you know he makes runs a lot of people don't see it's just high-class movement, and that's the hallmark of his game. So I think he's more than intelligent enough to, to work of a fashion that gets the best out of both of those players rather than, you know, one almost um, dominates the other. So And it needs to happen because I, as good as it felt today watching Timu Puki, he is, you know, 32 going on 33 this season and he does need, as Dean Smith said, the minute he's walked through the door back in November 2021, easing the burden on that man, goal-scoring-wise, is one of his priorities. And small sample though it is, he looks like uh, he may have found an answer in Josh Sargent. And, um, you know, that needs to continue because, you know, I don't think Timu Puki over the entirety is probably going to weigh in, in quite the numbers he has done previously because, you know, 
you know, his powers are starting to dim, I think, but not to the extent where they're, they're eroding that he won't threaten, you know, 100, as you say, for the club if he gets another 21. But I, I think it's unrealistic to expect him to shoulder the entire burden now. And nor should he, not in this squad with the attacking armoury that they've got. No Adam Eder even, you know, this afternoon. And, uh, you know, ultimately... It's it's an interesting dynamic that's building, but Josh Sargent is well. You can't drop him at the minute. That's a testament to that man. What are you going to say on fire there? To, 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 <laughs> which uh, which would have been which would have been apt. Um, some other stuff around the game. There was a drum, Sam, which was interesting. Now I'm not I'm not going to criticise his his drumming abilities because I can't play a musical instrument, so I don't feel like that would be necessarily particularly fair. But it did feel. Well, A, I'm not really sure he could see the, <laughs> see the game a lot of the time because he was positioned, for anyone that hasn't seen, not in the stand, but basically on a piece of scaffolding um, sort of underneath the big scoreboard. So between the away fans and the home fans, it also seemed to me like he needed a bigger drum, but also that, and again, I don't want to be, it's not my place to be overly critical, but that he also probably had one tune a lot of the time. But uh, I mean, as a... I mean, it's the first time we've we've seen it. There's been a clamour for it, given kind of the impact that it's had amongst the way atmospheres. What what did you make of it? Yeah, I think needing a bigger drum is probably a, a good and astute assumption. I don't know if we're going to see. They might as well go full hog, big bass. That's, that's yeah, it wasn't well it wasn't particularly loud, was it? I mean, we are about halfway round the ground from where where he was, so I suppose in the Barclay it might have sounded very loud, and I'm sure they'll be they'll be wary of perhaps ruining that match day experience for those that just want to go and, and enjoy the game although you know without wishing to stereotype I can't imagine those in that corner are particularly bothered about noise um, but yeah maybe we'll see some sort of announcement from the club in the next few days official um, band consultancy from the Salvation Army or something <laughs> and we'll see a, a, a bigger drum come in but um, no I think it's good to, to see that they're making um strides to to be a little bit more accepting of maybe alternative methods to try and should we say drum up an atmosphere at, at Carrow Road um you know we saw the flags today as well so generally I think these sorts of initiatives are good um I've spoken before about how watching a, a game live is a different thing to watching it on the TV and um there's a reason why you you want to be there and it's because fans want to contribute. They want to get behind the team, and they don't only want to watch it in a sterile environment. They go in for the atmosphere and for to be around the noises and the sights as much as they are to actually watch the football and see what's going on there. So I think cultivating a better atmosphere is probably important. Um, without criticising too much, I don't think Carrow Road is included in too many top ten lists for the best atmospheres in in English stadiums. I think when things are going well, there's certainly a lot of of goodwill, and I think in recent home games, the Barkley especially have been getting behind the team really well. But anything that helps that atmosphere, which is something you know, I think fan groups have been trying to work on for a really long time now, is is really good. And and to see some of that red tape finally removed, I know. People have been pushing for the drum and other initiatives for a long time now, but to see that red tape removed, I think, is um. It's good news for for probably a large amount of supporters, and I understand there's probably a lot of people that will feel their Carrow Road experience is diminished by th- these sorts of initiatives. But I would say, based on the majority, it probably it probably is a good thing. 
Yes, indeed. Forget the drum. Just send on El Hernandez to warm up every five minutes, and you'll get <laughs> you'll get the atmosphere going. Um, pads, quickly. Drum thoughts. I have no thoughts, Connor. <laughs> here in a professional capacity, people want to hit a drum. It's entirely up to them. But uh, there you go. I've made my point clear earlier on. I, I think the Cole fans probably won the uh, the vocal uh, gymnastics hands down. But then it's probably easier when you're in a confined away space. Norwich's away support is very vocal. So, but you know, deadline day signing for the drum. Let's uh, let's let's go give it a chance. Let's not be too hasty to uh, consign it. Uh, or, or look for an upgrade on the drum. I'm sure he'll go home and reflect on his drumming. <laughs> and uh, he'll come back stronger for the experience. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think it was it was uh, Chris Lakey, obviously our, our head of sport here, who tweeted after the, uh, after the game that I, I tweeted that they'd you know that there was a drum, and that was an interesting fact. Uh, and he said that uh, the only place a drum drum belongs is behind a lead singer. So I think that's that's, that's maybe a, a point in case about that. Um, let's turn back to to the to the football then. Um, uh, we we kind of touched upon this. So next Friday, Pad Burnley, a team that Norwich City were relegated with. Um, Burnley actually finished with significantly more points than Norwich City did last season. They've obviously had probably a bit more upheaval with. The removal of, of Sean Dyche as manager, that came after Norwich City beat them at Carrow Road in May, one of the, the few Premier League wins. Um, Vincent Company is, is obviously there now, so we have to call them Vincent Company's Burnley. That's, that's written into law. Um, as a test and as a challenge, this feels probably like the biggest one they've, they've had. I mean, I, I kind of said before I was a little bit disappointed around the whole Alex Neal saga with Sunderland because that felt like a, quite an interesting game for them to have given the start that Sunderland had, but it just got, to be honest, sort of overthrown because of because of the antics and everything that happened in the 24 hours before that. But Burnley feel like they are going to be in that sort of top cohort of clubs come the end of the season. This is a real test against a side who do like to play football and do have kind of a, a real clear style of play. Absolutely, yeah. I don't, with the greatest respect to the previous eight opponents, this this is this is the type of game that I think will... Give us a real indication of where Norwich can go potentially under Dean Smith. Not definitive in any way, shape, or form, given how early it is. But just looking at it here now, you know, they think if they hadn't conceded the ninety-eighth minute equaliser to West Brom on Friday, they're on a point less than Norwich from eight games. Turf more, they've won one and drew three. So that's the challenge facing Norwich. Can they go there and be the first team to to get a win at Turf more in the league this season? Um, Really interesting to see how that plays out and the company, that whole sort of project. It does feel like a departure. Massive name in the game. I'm sure his name alone has attracted a few players to go to Burnley and want to be part of that. So for me, it's kind of, I feel that they will get there at Burnley, um, bringing him in. It's just how quickly they go on that journey and is it this maybe too early this season? Will it need a, a transitional period? But early results would tell you he's, he's he's already you know getting his ideas across so put it this way if Nor if Norwich uh, get back on the coach Friday night and they've got a win then uh, whether they've you know merited it or not if they've got another win on the board six on the spin and they've as I say been the first team to go there in the championship this season and get three points then I think it really tells us what's in store for this group this season. Um, but conversely, you know, I, my mind goes back to the previous title win at this level and they went to Watford, another team in the same bracket, another relegated team previously. 
that was Boxing Day, I think, um, and they fell the wrong side of it, and, um, and they got beat one 0 I think that day, didn't they? And Ismail Assar was very good, but uh, that didn't prove too terminal in the final analysis. And there's far more games to go after this coming game um, than there was then. So we won't we won't draw any too definitive conclusions, but it just feels if Norwich were to go there and get the result. Um, that really does send out a clear signal because I, th- I think we all expect Burnley and the Watfords of this world to be, and Sheffield United now, clearly the start they've had, um, to be in that front rank competing for the top two. So um, any time you can land a blow on a direct rival, it's it's a good day at the office. Yeah, it kind of lends into the conversation we were having earlier about maybe how, we even within the Champions we've seen it at the Premier League really, how they're, we're almost getting mini-leagues within leagues and, and it certainly feels like we're probably going to end up with something similar in the Championship this year. You'd certainly put Burnley in, in a similar place to where you would put Norwich, I think, um, towards the top end and, and actually I think the top four at the moment is is made up of teams who have been in the Premier League in the last two years. Again, just to add that to the debate that we had earlier. But um, Sam, if if Norwich can, as Paddy says, record a win and, and, and do it however they do it, um, at Turf Moor, in the championship, that would essentially make it three wins from Sunderland, Birmingham, Burnley. I mean, that's your championship bread and butter, isn't it? If you're a side hoping to get promoted, if you can take ma- maximum points at Turf Moor this year, probably very few teams will do it. But if you can do that, it's probably a marker of, of, of a good side and also that you're probably on the way to doing something pretty special. Yeah, on the flip side, I wonder if they would take a draw, to be honest. They've won five games. And if you look at the 2018-19 Norwich City side especially, but also the, the last time they went up. I think they they their bread and butter was winning against the team they were expected to, to win against. And if you can do that without giving too many free points to your sort of top six rivals and taking draws here or there, then you can afford to maybe not put in incredible performances because, you know, by championship standards, it's going to be a huge leap from what they faced at home against Coventry to what they're going to face away at a very tough ground against a very good team in Burnley. So um, I think it's maybe more, and if Dean Smith is, is going to talk about consistency as an important point, then probably coming out of these games relatively unscathed is and, and making sure you do the job when you're supposed to do the job is probably more of a, a a realistic target than thinking, you know, are we going to go to to Turf Moor and, and win 3-0 and send out a statement to the rest of the league? I just think that's not maybe the best the best way of going about it, going about things in a, a particularly gung-ho fashion rarely, rarely pays off in the Championship where you're against well-organised teams who maybe don't have the same talents or consistency as Premier League teams, but they can certainly make you pay if, if you go in there, you know, overly gung-ho so um, I think Dean Smith being the pragmatist that he is maybe would take a point at Turf Moor but as it's perhaps more valuable as a measuring stick as you said really it's more of a a signal to opposition teams and probably to Norwich's own fans it's an important fixture as well to show them exactly where this Norwich team are um, because with the teams they've beaten they could well just have proven that they're they're sort of in and around playoff standard, they haven't necessarily proven that they're going to be fighting for those automatic places yet. The fixtures recently have been fairly kind, barring that Sunderland fixture. I think they were against teams who Norwich were going in against as overwhelming favourites. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a a very good measuring stick, but I don't think um, going in there thinking Norwich have to win is, is probably the best best mentality for them to have indeed um just to, to conclude the pod then deadline day was was Thursday um 
instead of the window kind of slamming shut at, at Norwich, it was, I think, gently pushed and then someone put the chain on at about two minutes to go. It was uh, it was a pretty uneventful day. I think Flynn Clark returned from Walsall. That was about as exciting as it as it got. But crucially, Norwich didn't get the left-back they wanted, um, Pad, despite Dean Smith saying it's his, uh, his pre-match press conference ahead of this game that they were quite far down the line with one and it obviously didn't materialise in the way they, they would have hoped. Uh, it's now a case of just... I don't know, getting Sam Byram in the in that what was it the the Cairo chamber is that what it's called yeah, cryo, cryo chamber and cryo. Uh, and 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 trying to model their their way through until obviously the free come back. And this afternoon was I think evident of the approach that you know he went went for about seventy minutes and then they got him off and Kenny McLean switched back there because I said to you during the game that given his history of injury and given he's not had a pre season to speak of really that. It's that final quarter when fatigue kicks in and the muscular injuries are going to be high risk. So, you know, again, Smith fully aware of that situation and got him off when when the game was done, in his opinion. So, puts a lot of onus on him. Also, puts a lot of onus on Max on the on the opposite flank. You know, who who um, you know, heaven forbid, if he got injured, then you know they are scraping the proverbial barrel in, in terms of the gap between now and Yanulis and McCallum and Sorensen to a lesser point being available, which probably isn't going to be until either side of the World Cup, which is you know a considerable block of games between now and then. Um, they've rolled the dice and, and you hope that, that, that you know they get the right right outcome. But uh, Lord knows Sam Byram deserves a, an injury-free run given what he's had to endure in his career in the last two, two seasons or so. But... Um, yeah, I think there's still going to be that nervousness anytime he goes on the floor or, or Max on the opposite flank. But they've weighed it up, as Dean Smith said on Friday. You know, they didn't quite get one over the line. So, you know, they've made a, a calculation on the balance of probabilities. And now we'll see, you know, if they're correct or not. Certainly, if, you know, heaven forbid, a Byron or a Max were out for any length of time, I think they could expect uh, some clear scrutiny on this decision not to go in and try and, and, make, and make a left-back happen. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting the way Dean Smith was framing that sort of after the Birmingham midweek game when it was almost like, well, we just need a stopgap in terms of if you're going approaching potential left-backs and you're saying, well, actually, we, we want you to come, but you know, probably by November you'll be out the side again. So, you know, it was that a tough sell? Um, but ultimately... You know, it is where we're at, and uh, I guess as long as McLean stays fit, then they'll feel they've got enough cover in that left back position. But um, you know, in contrast to, and we've spent a lot of this pod talking about it, the top end of the pitch, midfield, um, where it's you know they could interchange any number of players and still put specialists in those positions. That isn't the case at fullback. That is where the bed sheet is being pulled very thin and. You just hope that they uh, they get the rub of the green between now and Yanulis slash McCallum being available. Was it Ledley King at Spurs who basically went a few years without having a training session, just used to play matches? They, Paul McGrath as well. Paul McGrath as well, yeah. yeah. Play, that's what they need to do with Sam Byram, isn't it? Just just make sure that he can get through the matches and maybe stick him in that in that chamber uh, during the week and, and make sure he's nice and, uh, well, make sure he's defrosted for the weekends mainly. Uh, Pad, Sam, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, plenty more content across the week on uh, pinkin.com and as well, uh, keep plugging it at the end of the podcast. If you yet to take uh, your mum's free trial out on Pink and Plus, you can do that at uh, pinkin.com. 
tab on the top left following all the instructions and you get all the access to exclusive articles but also videos as well and a nice ad light experience which is always a, a good thing as well thank you very much for listening enjoy the rest of your weekend and your week um, and hopefully by the time Norwich City kick off at Turf Moor next weekend they're still top of the championship table see you soon